Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We just keep trucking right along. And happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. It's uh, I was reflecting on that. St. Patrick's Day, you think of the story of St. Patrick. He was sent by God to go back uh, to Ireland to a place where he was endangering himself, right? That that really fits well with the psalm we were looking at yesterday when we were looking at Psalm 20. Today, we're going back to Zechariah, though. We've got these last three chapters of Zechariah, looking at Zechariah 12 today. And yeah, I know, Zechariah, you know, it's just, there's just lots of stuff in here. You know, we remember those visions in the earlier part of the book. I remember I was I was just actually talking about um, this kind of came up in conversation really funny way. I was describing something that I was reading out of a Dr. Seuss book to my daughter. And I was describing this very weird creature, seven fingers on one hand, four fingers on the other. And my wife overhears me and she says, oh, what chapter of Zechariah is that in? Oh, no, that wasn't Zechariah. But we've got some interesting stuff in this book, no doubt. And today, a vision of a siege and calamity um, and this and this destruction and this defeat. And uh, this line here, looking on God whom they have pierced. Well, that's something that comes up in the New Testament. So lots of good stuff today as we're closing out this book and joining us. We've got a guest returning. We've got Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor at Jerusalem. Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, of course, a great church name in general, but great name for this chapter also. Good morning, brother. How are you and the people of Jerusalem faring? Good morning, Pastor A.J. Well, we we are faring, uh, as you might expect, with the coronavirus in a uh, uh, careful way. We'll just put it that way. Right. Um, because of all the issues. We did have church last Sunday, but uh, now we have heard from um, uh, the nation, national um, press conference yesterday that they're limiting assemblies to 10 or less. That knocks us out for a couple of weeks, I suspect. Right. It's Sunday. it's a real challenge. It's a real yeah. challenge. You know, just so many churches and pastors are grappling with this, you know, like the, of course, uh, to your point that the that the White House has um, has put the guideline forward of ten. Um, you know, the CDC has has fifty. There's you know different considerations to take into account, and you know, can we can we split up the services? Can we try this out? It's it's a very right. complicated and tricky thing. So certainly, just praying for God's uh, wisdom um, in the midst of all of this. That regardless of how we decide. Uh, to go forward that we do so not um, in fear, but out of uh, love and confidence, right? Right. As you mentioned, Pastor A.J., um, Zechariah is uh, not a book we normally would do that much reading from, although, as you said, there's a really great quote in this chapter. Um, mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this book is that there are some things that really do address the circumstances we're involved in right here and right now. In fact, um, I just happened to be reading uh, the uh, book of Zechariah in my daily Bible um, journaling, daily journaling Bible for the last several days, and uh -huh. we just finished up Zechariah today, and uh -huh. um, I was I was moved by what was said a few chapters before, uh, and it really seemed to address what it is that's going going on in our day and age now. Zechariah. 
um, wrote, we think, uh, about during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it was uh-huh. a time when the children of Israel were coming back from uh, Babylonian captivity. And Zechariah is talking about what's going to happen once that all happen, uh, once that all is accomplished. Right, right. Yeah, no. This, certainly, this this setting of God's people um, having having returned to the land, but it it not being um, the way it used to be. Right, with with things certainly not being ideal, things being uncertain. Right, mm-hmm. like we've been talking about that. Just like how you know the the authorities, right, were just changing hands left and right. You know, like one moment it's. Um, you know, the Babylonians and it's the Persians, then there's a Persian civil war, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, then it's the Greeks and it's the Seleucids. I mean, my, my goodness, it just seems like, you know, yeah, that kind of uh, uncertainty, right? Um, right? Is something I think to your point that certainly we can relate to as well. And yet in the midst of all of that, there is this, this confidence throughout Zechariah that, well, there is still the Lord and his unchanging word. So, we gather around that today yeah. um, and certainly find no small measure of peace there for us. Uh, as we turn to the test, uh, the text here, would you say a prayer for us, for everyone listening, and of course, just for our nation and our churches um, everywhere uh, during these times? Lord, um, we have always acknowledged in one way, shape, or form that it's important for us to be able to, uh, uh, to know that you are sovereign and you are Lord. That's important. It always has been, as I said. But the problem is that there are times when we have to actually take it more seriously than we normally would. This might be one of them. I thank you for the heritage of people like St. Patrick, who once was a slave in, in Ireland, escaped, and decided to go back to Ireland again in order to teach the Christian faith to them. Help us to see that you even take us through difficult times, and certainly that was the case for the people who lived in the days of Zechariah. It still is for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. Well, let's turn to the text. We got Zechariah chapter 12. Uh, you know, th- this has actually been very a very helpful way to do this. If we just read just the first verse, um, and then just pause right there to kind of say, okay, this is how this new chapter is getting introduced. Well, now, what does that mean about, you know, what the previous chapters were saying? And like, you know, have we have we jumped forward in time by a significant amount? Have we gone back in time? It's just like a flashback. So it's kind of helpful just to read that first verse and then kind of ask where, where we find ourselves situated. So let's just read Zechariah chapter 12, just verse one here. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Okay, so right away, I think the thing that jumps out at us is that second word, oracle, or in the um, 2007 edition of the ESV, uh, burden. And we've talked about that a little bit before. Um, here in Zechariah and elsewhere, but it's striking in Zechariah because the last time that we had the word um, oracle or burden uh, was back in chapter nine. And so, and those are the only two instances here. So uh, that's kind of interesting for what that might mean for this last section and its relation to what, what was before, right? 
Mm-hmm. It, it does, and and I and I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to prepare uh, God's people for something that is going to come, but something that's going to come rather immediately. This is not some sort of prophecy that's going to happen centuries in the future for uh, the original listeners. This has to do with the people who are there in Jerusalem who he is writing to at that moment. Yeah, I I agree that there is really... burden. What's that? It's a heavy burden, too. Oh, well, yes. I mean, is is it not a burden to um, bear the word of the Lord to the people, right? Especially in the midst of uncertain times, uh, certainly. Um, Yeah, so these oracles, you know, I agree with you that as difficult as it can be to try to locate, there really is, I believe, a sense that you know, there, there is something going on for the people he's talking to um, in that time. And then also, you know, what we have later in, in the life and work of the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, even later um, in, the, in the life and work of the church that, you know, we have all three levels. And I, and I really do agree that it is helpful to not neglect that first level that, you know, that thing that happened kind of like in the lifetimes of, of the people being addressed, right? Um, that there is the like something, right? Yeah, that's right. That there is something there, and actually, uh, taking a look at the historical side helps us actually understand then the, the second and the third levels of interpretation better. Kind of gives yeah. us something to anchor things onto and uh, complete the analogy with, right? Right. So that so that's that's where we're headed, and uh, you can see that uh, right away. He's talking about things that these people really need to pay attention to because it's coming and it's coming soon. Right. Well, and so and so this is interesting then. So you have these these two oracles um, in, in Zechariah. You got, you know, the series of visions is the first part of the mm-hmm. book. And then you got these two oracles. And we, and we talked about this, how, you know, when you look at that oracle that began in chapter nine and ran all the way through chapter 11, there's lots of different interpretations about what time that's referring to. Oh my goodness. I mean, you look over the history of interpretation. Um, a lot of people have said that this refers like to the exile itself, right? You know, that, that, that siege of Jerusalem. And so they mm-hmm. continue on that line uh, here. Um, a lot of people, you know, as we were looking um, pointed at things, references, for instance, to like the, the Greeks, right? Back in chapter nine, right? A lot of the descriptions in chapter 10 and 11 that seem to describe what was happening um, later under the Macedonians and then the Seleucids, right? So, I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways that people try to make sense of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting to think of it, especially the last thing that we read in chapter 11, the worthless shepherd is the one who is mentioned, right? Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock, right? This is a, like that, that last thing that we read in chapter 11. Interesting to consider that this might be following on the heels of the ascent of a, of a bad leader in Israel's history. You know, might, might this refer to the times of, for instance, Jason, the corrupt high priest who is described in um, significant detail in Maccabees, uh, uh, in 4th Maccabees, really, who, uh, you know, sold out the people to Hellenization and the Seleucids. You know, it, it's, uh, there's, there's a few different things that people have suggested over time, and it, it is mm-hmm. interesting then to try to see, like, maybe that's what Chapter 12 is talking about then. 
Well, that's what it talks about to begin with. But uh, as I've mentioned before, and we've made allusion to it a couple of times now, um, the um, prophecies in the Old Testament also uh, tend to go into what I call prophetic exaggeration. Now, I'm not using the word exaggeration in a negative sense. Right. What I am saying is that they're talking about something that's happening then that has a greater significance in the coming of the Messiah. Right. Right. That, that, that's a good way of putting it, right? The, the, the perspective is different. The terms are different, right? It's like you're kind of looking out on this landscape and the sizes and the shapes of things are, they look a little bit different They're, or like the sizes and the scale is maybe exaggerated. Um, like you said, not in a bad way, but, but for a particular purpose, it's a different kind of perspective, right? Yes. So let's go ahead and read then what, what the first part of this oracle is and see if we can make sense of it. So picking it up at verse two, behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. All right. So just, just pausing here. Um, mm -hmm. Very striking. I mean, we're, we're, he's describing a siege, right? A siege on Jerusalem. You know, and as we were saying, Jerusalem was sieged, uh, you know, several times. We'll put it that way <laughs> in its history, Absolutely. right? <laughs> not, not, not any strangers to, to sieges. But so the city's under siege. Um, and what, what ends up happening, it, at least in, in the prophecy, what's, what's being said, right, is that God's going to save Jerusalem by striking the horses and riders with panic and madness. And, and that also, when we read that, we think to ourselves, that also doesn't sound like the only time that that would have happened, right? This kind of striking the horses with panic and, um, and madness, that, I mean, that, that seems to go all the way back to Egypt. It does. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the idea behind winning victories in the, uh, in the biblical sense. It usually yeah. had to do with military might and power. And uh, as you studied in Psalm 20, uh, it says some nations boast of their armies and weapons, but we boast yep. in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. This time I'm reading from the New, New Living Translation because sometimes that's helpful. Um, what it tells us is that God can win victories, even great victories over enemies, but he doesn't always use armies to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. He uses other things. Right. Well, and we saw that certainly back in Isaiah when it was talking about the siege, right? Or, you know, the would-be siege of the Assyrians coming up to Jerusalem. And then what happens, right? I mean, it says there in Isaiah that, you know, he, God, um, he causes this, well, he, he causes some kind of disaster in the Assyrian camp, right? So right. What, whatever it is, some kind of plague or something, you know, we, we talked about, you know, there's there's some mention of uh, perhaps like some kind of like uh, infestation, right? That causes some outbreak of disease. I mean, whatever the case was, 
he sends them into disarray, right? It says that also he he puts a, a rumor in their ears, right? And so they, they hear about trouble and civil war on the home front and they all they're, they're so for various reasons, um, God is able to to basically just fill them with fear and panic and dread and they just call the thing off. So I mean, you see that happen that again and again that God, as you were saying, works through all kinds of ways through the armies of the earth and through natural disasters and even through, I mean, I mean, just uh, fear in, in the mind. So, I mean, God is over all of it. And I think, uh, I think in this case, the reference to blindness might have mm. something to do with what we would call a natural disaster. We have no idea what that might be, but at the very slightest, uh, that means that those who are trying to invade Jerusalem realize that they have taken on a bigger burden than they can carry. Yeah, no, certainly. And uh, we, we've seen that, I mean, of course, too, right? That like, um, you know, when, when the people of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, there was this intervention of the cloud of God's presence, right? And like, they couldn't, they couldn't see each other all over again, right? It was like the plague of darkness almost all over again. And Right. So you, you see that. And as you said, it, you know, what, what exactly does this refer to? Was it like a, a, a big thick cloud? Right. Was it some kind of uh, natural disaster? Right. I mean, something um, weird kind of um, in terms of the weather or what, what you had going on in the sky, you know, unclear. Right. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right, God is going to be the one who brings about um, this extraordinary victory so that Jerusalem and Judah are going to overcome uh, the odds that are stacked against them. Yes, the odds are stacked against them. It looked like they were going to be overpowered. Uh, but it, it's important for people in Zechariah's day to remember the history. Uh, and he'll make reference to that in a little while, uh, about the history of Israel and, and what God was able to accomplish through that, through that uh, uh, those victories that he won for them when they were facing uh, insurmountable odds. Right, right. Well, let's go ahead and take a look here at the at the second part of this uh, of the first half. I mean, the chap the chapter kind of is, um, if you look at just at the ESV headings, it's kind of like in two halves. You got like through verse nine, right. where it seems to really be focusing on this gathering of the nations versus Jerusalem, and then there's this this turn right when when it's talking more about this like you know uh, well the the line that we just alluded to earlier about. Um, that gets quoted in the New Testament. So let's re- go ahead and take it through verse 9 here then, picking it up at verse 6. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem." Oh, okay, so yeah, I just um, that you know, that language of, of destruction is is so pronounced, right? Both in terms of um, just you know God saying that summary statement at the end, destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, uh, but also just the description of 
what he is uh, making the people of Judah to be like, right? Like a like a flaming torch that devours the sheaves, like a blazing pot, right? That mm-hmm. that just um, takes all the heat in the midst of all the wood, right? Like you put more wood on there, and the the fire just um, heats up, and the pot just gets hotter, right? You know, so I mean, it's uh, it's quite striking this idea of like you know consumption and burning, right? That you just have throughout um, this part. Mm-hmm. And then it shows that uh, God is winning a victory through his own people. Here yeah. it definitely indicates that uh, Judah, the uh, tribe that is being um, invaded uh, by hostile enemies, uh, has turned around and become um, something that causes the enemies to run in terror because they can't face all of the, uh, if you use the image of smoke and fire, they can't they can't deal with all the glory they saw in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's the biblical mm-hmm. word for it. Whenever you see the presence of God and smoke and fire, it is right. called glory. And you know, part of our problem is that glory to us sounds like it's wonderful and, and tremendous, and and it is. Um, but I, I like the. Uh, the line from uh, Amazing Grace, because grace, twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and mm-hmm. fears my, uh, uh, my and fears my faith believed. Uh, mm. it, uh, the grace of God, the glory of God, is scary, right. even if it's working on your side. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, there is there is something about it that. Is, is in some ways, well, I mean, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's the glory of God, right? That like, you know, parts the Red Sea, right? And you're going across the Red Sea, but you're just like, what's going on? You know, like you're looking at walls of water, you know, uh, I, I forget, you know, I forget the, the artistic, um, it, you know, rendition of this that I saw once, but it was looking at the Red Sea and it was showing like, um, like the, kind of that cutaway view. And like, there was like a flash of lightning or something and you could see, like all of the the sea creatures there, just on the other side of the wall of water, including some that are rather large, and you know, I was just that, that was a very striking image to me because it's just like you're you're going through the the Red Sea and you're like, this is scary, right? I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, it's it's you know, God's saving us, right? But yeah, when the glory of God shows up, I mean, that's that's uh, something to make you feel humble and small, regardless of what side you're on. And you can see the various levels of humility. As a matter of fact, it works the exact opposite of what you would expect when you understand glory. Uh, it says that Judah, which is the tribe of Jerusalem, uh, wins, um, rises victorious, then Jerusalem, then David, who's supposed to be the, the, uh, the great king. And I think the idea behind that, once again, is to make sure that when you see the glory of the Lord, and especially when you see the glory of the Lord working on your side, that only humbles you. It doesn't give you a chance to be pride, uh, prideful or, uh, or happy that you have, you have won a victory, because you haven't won a victory. Only the Lord wins the victories. Right. Yeah, no, that is, it is interesting um, how, how there are these, all these different figures there in verse seven kind of mentioned, right? Um, you know, and it's, and it is interesting that there's a distinction there actually between Judah and Jerusalem, because I feel like normally we just, I don't know, we, you, you kind of think of them as synonymous. And I think on a certain level, and, and especially in some texts, they basically do function synonymously. Yeah. Uh, though, um, you know, having gone through Joshua not too long ago, we remember that technically Jerusalem was in the allotment of Benjamin, 
right? So when when you think about that, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, so there there is a little bit of that, and of course, uh, well, we just think of you know uh, in the New Testament, of course, right? You know, uh, it wasn't wasn't Paul like uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, if memory serves, right? So there were people who actually were tracing their ancestry still, but uh, you know, point being, anyway, that in the midst of all of these things, right? God's making sure that no one gets too big a head on their shoulders, right? And we remember that ultimately, right? It's God who has won the day here. Uh, we we got to pick that thought up when we take uh, get back from our break here, but we're going to do our break for just a moment here. Everybody hang with us, looking at Zechariah chapter 12 on Nice Strong Word. Be right back. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for your LCMS congregation or organization to become a Church of the Week for a gift of just $595. If you would like, you can split that into monthly gift payments. Also, if you commit to be a Church of the Week between now and Easter, in addition to 35 30-second announcements and your pastor or leader being on one of our programs, we will give you, for your pastor, a beautifully bound Luther's Small and Large Catechisms, compliments of Worldwide KFUO and Concordia publishing house in St. Louis. This small and compact volume has Luther's seal on the front. The pages are gold-edged, and the inside print is plenty large, even for an older person like myself. So contact me to schedule your week. You provide the information for the 30-second spots, and we'll produce them for you. Our thanks to CPH for partnering with us. Call 314-996-1520 to schedule your week today. everybody to thy strong word we're looking at zechariah chapter 12 here and yeah this this section here you know whatever is going on god has given victory to his people um on on a certain level this is talking about something historically um, but then as we were just saying there are these other levels and that other level is going to become very apparent in verse 10 that we're about to read we're joined today by pastor doug nicely pastor at jerusalem lutheran church in collinsville illinois i want to make sure to invite our live listeners if you do have a question for me or pastor nicely Give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Any uh, thoughts, comments, observations, or questions you might have for us about Zechariah chapter 12, stuff we're looking at today. Also want to make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support. It's so great that we're doing this um, just, you know, in a time when everybody 
a lot of people anyway are having their lives and schedules disrupted, but you know, maybe they can check out the podcast or they can listen online streaming. Thank you for your support guys. Lutheran heritage foundation, lhfmissions.org. So but before we leave this section, the, the last thing I wanted to comment about was, you know, you, so you got all these different image, these different images, right? You got the, uh, you know, the blindness, the madness, the panic, right? Um, you, you've got the, the kind of fiery consuming language, right? But there's also this, this other one, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, it was, and this was back in verse three. Um, On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, all who lift it will surely hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, that's such an interesting uh, image, right? I mean, it's this kind of immovable object, right, kind of image. You know, um, I, I don't know. It popped into my head. You know, you think of like uh, like legends that we have, like, uh, you know, King Arthur and the, and, the, and the sword and the stone, right? And like how everyone's like coming up and everyone's going to try to pull this sword out and everyone's like going to break their back or at least, you know, pull something, <laughs> but not the sword <laughs> when, when, they, when they give it a try. Um, it it kind of reminds me of, you know, back in the book of Daniel, um, actually so much of this second half of Zechariah, um, just, I mean, I mean, the stuff that seems to perhaps deal with the, the Greeks and the Seleucids uh, really reminds me so much of Daniel. And, and when we have that image, right. Mm-hmm. In, in Daniel of, of the, of the different, uh, the statue of the different parts of uh, material, right. There's like the head of gold, um, and then like the chest of like silver, and then, and then below that, like there's bronze and then iron. But then, like, what happens, right? Um, after all of that, you see this. Then you have this this uh, part of the prophecy that this is back in Daniel chapter two. We saw right that then there is this. What what's it say? Right? There is a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring yeah. them to an end, and it shall stand forever just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it, that struck me actually as just very similar, this idea, this big stone mountain thing that you're just not going to be able to move or break or do anything to. Um, yeah. Your thoughts? Pastor AJ, in this, uh, in, in this other translation, New Living Translation, it says in that verse, on that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone, a burden for the world. Listen to this last sentence. None of the nations who try to lift it up will escape unscathed. Yeah, that's Interesting cool. Interesting observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. That, that, that's right. Yeah, no, it's um, – well, and, and of course the language – so I mean, so and I think this is kind of maybe the nice thought and maybe a good segue to the second half of our mm-hmm. chapter here. But like, so historically, you know, it does this possibly refer to all the stuff that went down when it when it came to the Maccabean revolt um, and, and all this stuff going on with the Seleucids and, and whatnot. You know, perhaps you know because I mean we do know that um, at least historically, you know, God did allow um, His people to. Re- regain a good measure of autonomy um, mm-hmm. that actually for actually for like a, a chunk of time, they were able to even expand their borders and they were able to, to capture Gilead and go up north and capture back. Um, I, I mean, like all the stuff that would have been Zebulun and Naphtali and Asher, uh, mm-hmm. they, they go out towards the sea. They're able to ca- recapture um, all, a lot of that territory that would had been promised to Dan that they never had been able to. So, but you know, historically, like, like there is a time when like God actually gives them the success. But of course, we know 
in the end, right, you know, well, what happens? Like, well, I mean, the Romans come through and yeah, that's so kind of the end of that. Comes. That's right. You know, and so th- 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 there's the big letdown and you're like, well, hang on. This was supposed to be the immovable mountain, right? The heavy stone that no one was supposed to be able to do anything with. Um, and I think that this really invites us then to that that second and that third level, right? Where yeah. you've got the Lord Jesus who comes and, and what does he rename Cephas, right? He renames him Peter Rock, right? And he says, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. And the yeah. descriptions, right, in the New Testament, right, that the church, right, is is this, um, I mean, it's just built on the foundation. What's it say of the apostles and the prophets and Christ is the, the cornerstone. I mean, it's, it's this Christ. idea, right, of like it's the rock and it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in Zechariah chapter 12, we've reached um, what we have in the English Standard Version as uh, part two, <laughs> the second half. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and that's, um, and this and that's where this— uh, Him Whom They Have Pierced. Right. The title at the top of this, this section now. Yep, that, that's right. And that's going to start sounding a lot more like, you know, the Lord Jesus and the church. So let's go ahead and read this section here. Verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day... The morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. Bunch of stuff in there, Pastor AJ. Oh, certainly, brother. So, I, I mean, uh, and if, I mean, it's something just like actually popped in my head too. Even just about the description of everyone being um, in isolation in mourning. We'll uh, come to that maybe in just a second, but it, it opens up right with this. Um, this pouring out on the house of David. So there's the house of David again, right? Mm-hmm. This spirit of grace. And the result is that they look on him whom they have pierced and mourn. What is going on here? Well, now to, um, uh, to those of us who understand the New Testament, uh, we know where that quote comes from. And it's an interesting quote. This is at the end of the crucifixion of Jesus, after he has died on the cross. And uh, this is in John chapter 19. And I want to read uh, just three verses here, uh, yeah, because, because I think it tells us a little bit about what we can understand with they will look upon him whom he has pierced in the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. Um, St. John writes, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account as it is presented so that you can also believe these things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones would be broken and they will look upon him whom they pierced. John says this death of Jesus 
fulfills what was spoken in Zechariah. Uh, and it's an amazing statement that he says. But it's interesting, once again, that we have different levels of fulfillment. Because, right. because in some ways, uh, I, I can see here also something else. And I want to, I want to go back and yeah. um, give you a little bit of a uh, learning that I've had just looking over these chapters. Uh, yeah. As I mentioned, one of the things that happened to the children of Israel when they returned from Babylonian captivity was right. they, they started to rebuild the temple. And we're told in the book of Ezra, um, at the end of the building of the temple, let me read this portion in chapter 3 of Ezra. Many of the older priests and Levites and other leaders remembered the first temple, uh, and they wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud uh, commotion that could be heard far in the distance. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that maybe my understanding of the old priests at the dedication of the temple um, could be understood on a, on a much deeper level than I normally have interpreted it. And I, and I appreciate Zechariah saying this in order to help me out. Yes, they probably were sad that the new temple was only a small reproduction of the glory of the original temple, but maybe they were looking on him who they pierced, meaning their ancestors, and they were weeping for that reason. Yeah, I, I think that there's really something there, and especially because I remember when we were going over that, because you have that description um, in Ezra, I believe. It's in Ezra chapter 3. Right, right. And, and the description, if I recall, when you actually go and compare the measurements, seems to imply that the temple was um, actually being being rebuilt even, I mean, at least I, I think in the order that, that you have there um, in, in the letter from the Persians, um, mm -hmm. to be built like twice as tall as it was before. So, I mean, like, just thinking of it that way, it's like, well, you know, why, why are you crying? This is going to be kind of bigger and better than ever, right? But uh, to your point, though, right, like, th this, this is just, of course, what, what uh, Paul says, um, in his letter where he says, yeah, but the thing is, if I rebuild what I myself have torn down, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm condemning myself, right? I'm just, I'm just proving right. the fact, right, that I, I messed up and, and made this mess to begin with, right? So just remember, the very act, go, go ahead. They remembered that, and that fits so well with the rest of uh, Zechariah chapter 12. Yeah. Which we'll get to in yeah, a minute. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's right. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. That just, um, you know, so yeah, it's like, oh, hey, look, yeah, God's given us the victory, and hey, look, we've been spared, right? But, but just the the very act of all of this, what what does it demonstrate? It's like, well, well, why did all this need to happen, right? Would we have even been in this situation, right? Had we not rebelled in the first place, right? And and, and that's yeah, I, I I agree. So you have that that level there, um. I mean, just while we're on this first part here, looking at like the, the bit about whom they have pierced, right? right, right. Um, it's interesting, something that I, I hadn't noticed um, until actually going through this this go-round of, um, of reading it for, for Thy Strong Word. This is similar to the language that we had back in Zechariah chapter 2, uh, because there you have God as the speaker 
Um, and he is actually describing this idea that that he is the one who is being injured, right? And that was that was back in uh, Zechariah chapter two, mm-hmm. where it says there in verse eight, for thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, mm-hmm. right? And, and and so there there's this idea that like when when the um when God's people have been, you know, it's, I mean, there's this, this image of like, you know, poking in the eye we talked about, right. You know, or, or being stabbed or, or, you know, pierced or whatever the case is when all that stuff happens to God's people, uh, God is taking that as an insult an injury and an affront to himself, you know, which, which is a very, uh, I mean, which, which is just very striking, right. That there is uh, striking, um, that, that there's this like almost, this pre-incarnational idea where, mm-hmm. where God is identifying his people as his own body. Right. Um, which is just then all the, all the richer than when you can make the connection to Zechariah 12 and John, as you just did that there, who's, who's the body of, of God, right? Like who's the one that they have pierced? Well, it's mm-hmm. Jesus on the cross, right? Yeah. That's the incarnate God. That's the body Right. I mean, which is then the body of the church. So, I mean, it's um, it, it's really striking when you make that connection there that it, it just kind of Zechariah itself, when it's connected to John, shows that, you know, the idea of the, the body, the, the incarnation of God, that Jesus is that like by himself in that moment. And he gave his life for the people. So in some ways, what we mourn um, is is God's salvation at the same time. Yeah, and and part of it has to do with our response to realizing this and what we do. Here's here's a quote from uh, old nineteenth century uh, theologian Charles Spurgeon. Mm. A great mistake is very common among all classes of men. It is currently believed that we first of all are to mourn for our sins and then to look by faith. Uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Most persons have, who have any concern about their souls but are not as enlightened by the Spirit of God think that there is a degree of tenderness of conscience and hatred of sin uh, which they are to obtain somehow or other. Then they will be permitted and authorized to look at Jesus. Now, you will perceive that this is not according to the Scripture. For according to the text before us, men first look upon him who they pierced, and then, but not until then, they mourn for their sin. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, isn't, I mean, just reminds me, of course, uh, you, you know, I mean, it reminds me of like the, the centurion, right, who's left there, and he, he looks at him, and it's after everything's said and done. He's like, well, I'm depending on whether you're in, um, I mean, which book of the Bible you have, like if you're in Luke, he looks up and he's like, right. you know, this, this man was innocent, right? Um, or, you know, this man was was son of God. Um, but I mean, like in, in the end, it's just like what when you see that, that then that's when you get this, this uh, when you're when you're moved, right? And, and that's like, of course, what the Gospel of John is all about, this idea that, you know, it, in the same way that when there was that bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness and when, well, when you looked at it, right? how that changed your situation, right? When that looked, when you looked at it in, back in the wilderness, uh, that meant that you were not going to die um, at the result of that, that venom, right, that had been put into you. Um, similarly, it's when you look up at the sun pierced on the cross that you look up and then, well, you, you may die once, but 
not the second death, right? Like that sin, it, it's in you, but it's not necessarily going to have its way with you anymore. There's a, there's a change that happens when you look up at Jesus. Right. And they will, but then they will mourn for their sins because they can yeah. see what right. has been done for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, uh, I think Spurgeon's uh, comments are, are interesting in that way too. You know, we look upon him who, who has, who pierced and we do that whenever we see the cross, uh, above our altar. And, and many of our crosses have the suffering Savior on the cross. Yeah. At that moment, we realize the payment that has been made for our sins. And that's what gives us the victory. Right. Well, and that, that really is, uh, I mean, this is interesting too during Lent, right? You know, and, and we're like preparing ourselves for, for our three-day um, observance, the, the triduum, right? And we're going to go through including... Uh, you know, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and, and Holy Saturday, and you know, it's uh, it's not unusual in the midst of all of that that there's some tears along the way, right? You know, especially when you're, my goodness, when it's on Good Friday and you're singing some of those most somber hymns that we have in our hymnal, right? You know, and uh, you're just reflecting on the piercing of the Lord Jesus, and and yeah, like it's a, it's, a, it's there's a somber character to it, and I think that that's. It's not inappropriate that, you know, there, there, are, there are some who say like, oh, well, I mean, why would you do that? He's not on the cross anymore, don't you know, right? It's like, well, okay, I get what you're saying, but I mean, th- this is the, the move, right? When God pours out the Spirit and we look up at the sun, we, we realize the cost, right? We, we realize that it was, it was we who, who did that to him and that it, it's really because of the power of the Holy Spirit <laughs> that we can actually feel bad, and remorseful, right? I mean, because the the world, I mean, w- without without the movement of the spirit, just looks up and says, you know, yeah, well, that's that's what he got, you know, that's what he deserved, and um, you know that that's how it had to be, or or, or whatever the case is. I mean, it can be very cold the reaction. Mm-hmm. And then then the last thing that uh, that this goes to is it talks to us about the day of mourning in Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, as great as the mourning of Hadad Riman, which is which has to do with with the death, with, has to do with the death of uh, of a king, right? And uh, and and how very sad the children of Israel were when a when a uh, when, uh, when a good king had died. Um, mm-hmm. But so so they start out by worshiping uh, and and mourning collectively. But then they do it individually, which is what the chapter says about all the people uh, at, at the end who are who are separated from one another. Another observation. Right. Another yeah. observation. This comes from um, called the Praise and Worship Study Bible, which is not in print anymore. But my goodness, is it a good resource? I I, I literally bought this Bible from my teacher in graduate school, a fellow by the name of Robert Weber, in his yeah. study. And he was was the editor of this Bible. And I I took a look at it and I said, I said, well, this looks really nice, Bob. He said, would you like to buy one? And and so I paid (laughs) 20 bucks for this. (laughs) Hey, good investment. And what a resource. This is what he says uh, on on that verse that we were talking about. We'll look upon him who who he pierced. The first step in worshiping God properly is to learn who he is. This passage foretells a time when the people of Israel will see their Lord for who he is and mourn for the harm that they did to him. 
They will do this because God will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer upon them. We need that same spirit of grace and prayer every day. We need to have our eyes open to see uh, so we can clearly see God and the wonder of his salvation as we reflect on God and ask him for his grace. Then we will be drawn to worship him. What it tells us, say, for instance, in the time of coronavirus, when we can't have church, is that, yes, we have gathered together recently to be able to pray and thank God for who he is. Now, we have the opportunity during the time when we are more solitary to be able to go back and take that prayer and make it very personal, which is how the chapter that we are studying, Zechariah chapter 12, ends. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, it really is striking. Um, yeah, you, you just kind of see all three levels here just in such parallel, right? That, um, you know, starting with the, the, the mourning for the death of Josiah, and it wasn't just any death, right? It was a death um, that he, okay. I mean, it was, I think it was like he had been pierced with an arrow, I think. Like, um, but it was, it was on the battlefield in any case, yeah. right? Which, which, is, which, is, which is striking, right? I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, he died of old age or something like that. But, I mean, the way he died, he died fighting for his people, right? He, he died fighting that they would, you know, be, be free, right? He was fighting, he was fighting their enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how he died. Right. And, and that was the way that they mourned. And it wasn't even just right that Josiah died, because when we look at the history of things, Josiah, he wasn't even just like, oh, like he was a good king in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, re- really, the thing was, when he died, it was like the writing was on the wall at that point, you know, because, I mean, after that, like, what'd you have? Like you had, you know, uh, Jehoahaz, right, who was like king for three months or something like that, right? Um, you, you had jo- Jehoiakim and jo- Jehoiakim, um, again, just like, I mean, my goodness. I mean, so, I mean, Jehoiakim, like he reigned like 11 years, but Jehoiakim, uh, again, like, again, like, uh, like three months or something like that. And then Zedekiah, right. You know, um, 11 years, but I mean, it's just when you, when you kind of compare it, it's just like, Oh wow. Like, it's just, it, uh, it's a new King. Like sometimes only three months from now, th- those last, um, few series of rules were, were just so short. It was like, it was like when Josiah died, it was like, Oh no, the, well, the whole is, thing is, is the over. beginning of the end. Exactly. And so, I mean, isn't it striking then when we consider then the death of the Lord Jesus, and we think about like those those men who are walking on the, the road to Emmaus, right? You know, heads down in disbelief. It's like mm-hmm. Josiah died in battle, right? Like, I mean, there's there was Jesus, um, you know, fighting the enemies of God's people, and, and that's how he died. And with his death, it's like, well, what hope is there, really? I mean, this is, this is the end, isn't it? Yes. So it's uh, so it's an it's it's a good thing, and I and I appreciate the the notes in the Praise and Worship Study Bible that tells us that the best way that we have now of taking that and taking that seriously is to take that seriously in the prayers that we pray every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a little prayer book that I follow, uh, it, it it encourages me to pray, especially at the end of the day, uh, confessing my sins. And it yeah. says, recount the sins specifically that you, uh, places where you have sinned specifically. Well, I have a tough time trying to figure that out sometimes because, you know, yeah. when I look myself in the mirror, I don't see what other people see. But it causes right. us to be introspective and causes us to realize that we are not God. We are different from him. We are less than him. 
And the only things that we take for granted are gifts from him. That's right. Yeah. Not- that's such a, that's a, I was just going to say, it's such a good point. I mean, like, you know, God has allowed this all to happen during the season of Lent. You know, I mean, what an opportunity for us as, right. as the people of God to rediscover you know, uh, morning prayer and matins and you know, evening prayer and vespers and compline, right? The, mm-hmm. the confession of sins, right, that you have in compline, that close of the day service, right? Yeah. That may, maybe we are all separated, right? But isn't it interesting here, you know, as, as the people are um, separated and mourning by themselves, right? They're all mourning the same thing. They're all mourning together in spirit. I mean, we as a mm-hmm. church, yeah, we're separated, but we should be praying more fervently than ever together in spirit during this time, yeah. um, praying for, for healing for our country, for, for God's protection and wisdom. Um, and that God would, you know, bring this to an end so that we would all be able to, to be together in the ways that we, that we, I mean, we're, we're hungering for, right. It's it's like the people like praying that exile would be over. I mean, it's, it's, we can certainly relate to this in so many ways. Uh, just I'm like maybe just 30, 30 so seconds much. left here, but wrap it up for us, brother. I am working forward so much to being with my being with my congregation on a Sunday again. Isn't that a strange thing to say? But I really am looking forward to it. And when I see that again, I will not take it for granted anymore. That's right. Amen, brother. I mean, God God does work good through this evil. And I mean, I think that we're just appreciating all the more the body of Christ. We're just looking at, right, that the one who they have pierced, the one who, because he was pierced, has made us into his one body through his sacraments of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Thank you so much, brother, for joining us today, walking with us through this chapter 12 of Zechariah. God be with you and the people at Jerusalem and... Uh, yeah, I mean, like blessings on the rest of this uh, Lenten tide, um, and that we may celebrate in spirit together the joy of the resurrection. Absolutely. Everybody, that was Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor at Jerusalem Lutheran Church, Collins Hill, Illinois. Moving on to Zechariah chapter 13, it gets better, just more and more stuff that gets picked up in the New Testament, more and more pictures of the Lord Jesus in this Old Testament book. So take a look at that. Check out the old episodes on the podcast already if you haven't, and whatever podcast app you use. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.